You know, when you go out on a patrol, there's only four things that happen. You go out, you can get injured, you get killed, you can get captured or you come back. So it's a, it's a Russian roulette kind of thing. You don't know what, where you're gonna land. In the Marine Corps, you don't leave, you don't leave your, your brothers behind. You just do whatever you have to do to get them back. So that's why we stayed there until we retrieve their bodies. You the blood and, and, the, and the guts and the, and the living and the dying. Uh, no rhyme or reason who's gonna die. It just, it is what it is. Do or die. All right, here we go. Uh, all right, thanks again, Richard, for being here. I appreciate it. Um, let's just jump into it. Let's just get started. Uh, why don't you tell me, uh, start off by just introducing yourself. Tell me your name, um, branch of service, and the years that you served. I'm Richard Rivera. I was uh, in the Marine Corps from 9, 8, August of 67 until discharged in, in uh, April of 69. Oh. Wow. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, how about, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, where you're from, where, you where, where were you born, where you're from, and a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. I was born in Los Angeles, California, but my folks lived in Long Beach, so I, I, went, I lived in Long Beach, lived, born and raised, raised in Long Beach until I went in the Marine Corps. Of course, when I got back from the Marine Corps, I stayed in Long Beach, never left Long Beach, other than to go on vacations and things like that. Wow. So, so you, yeah. were, uh, uh, you were born and raised in Long Beach? In California. In wow. Long, from, from, from Los I'm born in Los Angeles, but raised in Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. And you're still in Long Beach? Still in Long Beach. <laughs> um, what high school did you go to? I went to Long Beach Poly. Okay. And after graduation from high school, I went to work at Douglas Aircraft back then. Then it became McDonald, and then it became Boeing again after all the purchases. But that's where I started working at when I was out of high school building aircraft. Then uh, the Vietnam War was going on, so I was I was uh, drafted. And I went down the induction center, and I uh, I was in there, and, and I saw the shortest line. So I went and got in that line, and it was the Marine Corps. So I ended up in the Marine Corps. <laughs> the longest line was the Navy, and then the Army, and the and Air Force. But the only ones that were inducting at the time was uh, the Marine Corps, the Navy and the Army. You could do two years with either one of those branches. Oh, but I wow. picked the Marine Corps, and I'm certainly happy that I did. Um, were you, uh, you said you were drafted. Um, did you have any thoughts of going in, uh, serving in the military before the draft or anything? Uh, yes, I had, I, had, I had had many of my relatives that had been in the, in the military. And uh, the Marine Corps had the... The, the nicest uniform of them all. I didn't care for the Navy one, so I said, "Well, I think I'll, if I go into any branch, I'm going to go in the air, in the Marine Corps." And so that's why I, I chose the Marine Corps rather than to be told where I was going to go. Wow! So, uh, so out. yeah. Um, how did the draft work? So you were standing in that line, and what was the process like? You would go down to the induction center, and there was just wall-to-wall -wall, uh, young men like myself. And uh, you would just get in a line, and you you know the, the, you get sworn in and and that. And, and you could uh, you could choose any line you wanted to. Yes, yes, yes. It, for the two year enlistments, right. only for two year for the draft. You know your obligation. 
And the only ones that you could get into at that time for two years was the Marine Corps, uh, the Navy, and the uh, uh, Army. If you went to the Air Force, they didn't, they didn't do draftees in the, in the Air Force. You had to enlist, mm. be a regular service. So you're standing in that line and you get sworn in. Uh, what happens from there? Well, they gave us a meal ticket. So I went down to this place that they ate, we ate at. And then, uh, well, they had told us when we were going to be uh, being picked up to go to uh, basic training. And so I, I met them where, the, where I was supposed to meet them at and uh, was in a bus. And they, we drove around picking up other, other Marines or, and, you know, that were going to be Marines. And uh, from there, they drove us down to uh, Camp uh, MCRD in San Diego and then get off the bus, and it, it all began. I mean, in, in, in induction and introduction to the Marine Corps. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you went, down, you went to boot camp in? MCRD, San Diego. Wow. Um, what was it like, you know, getting into boot camp? Was it a culture shock for you, or what was it like back then? Oh, it was, because I was, I was pretty undisciplined. Uh, you know, I was used to doing what I wanted when I wanted and it was totally different be where you're being told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, and no other, no other uh, alternative. So it was, it was uh, quite an experience. Really, it, it really, it hated at the beginning, but at the end, I, I seen how it was very valuable, and it's helped me all through life. That discipline that I that they instilled in me. Yeah. Um, how long was boot camp back then? Uh, eight weeks was a short abbreviated uh, uh, boot camp because they needed they needed fresh meat to go to Vietnam so the boot camp was cut short and you went, so we went to boot camp then we went to uh, ITR then from there we went to school to be uh, uh, for the MOSs you were told what MOS you were and, and, and then you re went home then I went uh, was told to report where to report and reported there, got my training. I was actually uh, uh, trained to be an Antos crewman, which is a small uh, armored vehicle with six 106s on it, three on each on each side of it. But uh, received my training for that down here in Del Mar, California, at the not at the Del Mar City, but at the Del Mar uh, military uh, MCRD base where they trained uh, uh, for tanks and for Amtraks, Antos. And uh, that's where I got my basic training. Then uh, waited for uh, my next assignment. The next assignment was uh, uh, Vietnam. So I got uh, to Vietnam, and uh, they didn't need Antos crewmen. They needed more, uh, they needed riflemen. So I ended up being a rifleman. And I ended up being with the uh, 1st Marine Division uh, Bravo one one, and uh, that was that was my uh, my place till I till I got medevaced out of Vietnam in, in uh, September the fifth, nineteen sixty eight. So I was there oh March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and then I guess like I say I was medevaced on the fifth of September. Ended up going to. Uh, uh, had some surgeries there in, in uh, 
Da Nang, and then from Da Nang they sent me to Japan, and I was a 249th Army General in Japan, uh, a big army hospital, and uh, waiting there. I thought I was going to go back to my unit, but they said, no, you're going home. So at that point, they uh, had some more surgeries, and then I was put on an on a airplane, and we flew back to Travis Air Force Base in the States. And from there, I went to, uh, from Travis Air Force Hospital, I went to the uh, Naval Hospital at Camp Pendleton and had some more work done there, some more surgeries. And then I was released into a hospital battalion. And there was a whole bunch of us, other Marines in there, waiting for our next uh, duty station or assignment. And we were all being uh, 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 medically uh, released. So it was just uh, a thing where you went there and you just spent your time and uh, no assignments, no nothing. We just would go to our medical uh, appointments, physical therapy, whatever you had to have done, and waiting for the uh, uh, for our discharge. And so I got discharged on uh, April the 5th of 1969 and uh, came out, went to uh, went to go back to work, but I couldn't because I was I had I had uh, restrictions that I couldn't do. And so they said, well, we can't accept you back. So you have to go to the doctors, get a release. So I went to the VA and then they said, well, we can't release you to go back to work because you need some more work surgery. So I had to have another surgery there, and then uh, I rehabbed that. And then a year later, I went back to work, and that was that was the beginning of all that. But in the interim of all that, I was uh, uh, at the VA doing my my uh, my therapy and thing of that nature, and uh, I was I was always 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 uh, felt. Like I wasn't, like I wasn't, uh, uh, like I wasn't fitting in, and I figured, well, that's because I'm with a bunch of strange people. But it wasn't that; it was, it was me. I had, I had, uh, I had changed. I was from what I was before I went in, before I served. I became more introverted, and, and I, uh, I would became self-destructive. I, I abused, uh, uh, abused alcohol and some drugs. And uh, didn't like to be around uh, uh, people, and was always made sure I knew where I was at, so that I could find my way wherever I was at to, to a safe place. And I was always like that because it was in the hospital. They told me when the doctors come in, they talk to you, and they there's a doctor that always come in and ask you how you're doing. And they told me, so well, that's the one you want to tell them you're doing okay, because if you tell him. Anything that's that's contrary to that, they're going to keep you here. They're going to put you in the, in the, in the in K. It was K two, I think it was called. That's the uh, psych ward. So I would always tell the doctor when he'd come by, they do their morning rounds. I would tell that's the psychiatrist doctor. I said, oh, I'm fine, no problems. So, but I had a lot of problems. So in 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 the uh, I never had any of that addressed until 
after my wife passed away many years later, and uh, I was left alone. And then I realized I was running back through life, thinking of all the things that I had, had seen and done. And I realized that most of the stuff that I had done was negative. And I, uh, I always wondered, why do I do such negative things? Well, it was just because I thought, well, hell, you're just a bad person. But I thought, well, shit, I couldn't be a bad person. But what it was, like I say, was uh, uh, my way of coping with, with my, uh, my physical injuries were no problem. You healed from all that. But my brain was the part that, that didn't heal the, the, the PTSD. I, had, I didn't know I had it till years later, and I was at the, at the VA, and, and I was talking with this one doctor, and she says, you have some issues. And I, was, I said, I guess so. You know, we, she told me that I needed to see some other uh, counselors, and sure enough, they, I talked with them, and they ran tests and said, yes, you have a form of uh, PTSD. And I said, I don't, I don't know about all of that. But uh, uh, once they put me on medication, I noticed a change in, in that I didn't have that uh, anger and hostility. I was very hostile before that. And I could get, I would, I would get in fights. I would get in arguments. Uh, I wasn't very pleasant to be around. And uh, once I got on my medications that, I, I was able to control my, I felt better about myself. I still knew I, who I was, but I felt better. My, my mind wasn't racing around looking for reasons for me to be, uh, do what I did with the coping. And uh, it was all good after that. And it's been good after, since then. And uh, I go to the VA and, and they, the doctors, my doctors are all very good. Uh, I, as a, I, talk, I talk with my uh, uh, open door policy with my psychiatrist. I can call him or uh, and let him know I need to visit with him, and I can go in, and, and he calls and checks on me, and it's all been good. But I want to give a little bit about the story of Vietnam. When I got to Vietnam, it was it was it was strange. It was uh, uh, you know it was weather was nice, a lot of rain. And uh, the people were were just regular uh, people, regular small people. They were all small. And, uh, of course, they didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Vietnamese. So they always look at you and speak, and you didn't know what they were saying. So I was always very leery of them. And uh, to this day, I'm still very leery of places where I'm at, and people speak a language that I don't understand. But when I was in Vietnam... Uh, we we would be out on patrols, and I would you know you see them huh, when you're out there on patrols, and uh, you keep an eye on them, and and uh, you just didn't open fire and shoot on them just just to shoot at them. But uh, there was a lot of good times I had in Vietnam too, where we'd sit around at nighttime and and uh, listen to the music and. And uh, you didn't have alcohol. You got we get two cans of beer every month. They would bring in pallets, give you two beers a month or two soda pops. I trade the two sodas for two beers, <laughs> and uh, we would have a good time. Then we'd go out on patrols, and uh, you either made it back from the patrol or, or you got injured or medevaced, and then you'd bunker down for the night. 
The next day, the same thing. You'd go out again on another patrol, road sweeps, uh, things like that. And I never, ever thought till I got back and till I was much later in life, I realized why I had the problems that I had. Uh, you know, when you go out on a patrol, there's only four things that happen. You go out, you get... You can get injured, you get killed, you can get captured, or you come back. So it's a, it's a Russian roulette kind of thing. It's, you don't know what where you're going to land. And so you never think about it, because if you did, you, 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 you drive yourself crazy. So I just realized that, I, you know, that every time I made it, I, like I say, I made it back every time except for when I got uh, injured on a trip a landmine. And... Uh, after that, I, I was, like I say, I, I had all kinds of different issues, psychological issues. But uh, now that I'm back, well, now, you know, now that I'm getting help for my issues, I'm, I'm, it's, life is really good. Mm -hmm. I enjoy myself. I enjoy being around others. And uh, it's been a wonderful uh, transition. Um. Now, is it safe to say that uh, most people, you know, if they were to go out on patrol and trip a landmine, uh, they usually don't make it out of that. Is that right? Yes. You, you know, one thing about combat is you don't know who, you don't know why or what or who or what. And uh, I was very fortunate in, in that I tripped that mine with the back of my left foot and I heard it click. And then I wake. And then the next thing I know, I'm on the ground, and uh, I was just very fortunate that I hit it with the back of the right heel, so that it didn't. The most of the concussion, most of the explosion, it was behind behind me in the backside of me. Mm -hmm. So I got on my arms and my legs where I walk like this with a rifle, and so it got me up in this area and on this area in the backside, my legs, and uh, I was just lucky. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just, you know, there's certain things in life that happen that you have absolutely no control of. And that's one of them is who's going to die and who's going to live, who's going to get wounded, who's not going to get wounded. So it's just one of those things. Mm -hmm. You can't think about it or you'll drive yourself crazy. Was anybody else injured from that landmine? One person behind me because we were on, like I say, I was walking. I was in the front walking the point. And there was one other Marine behind me, and he got some shrapnel in the forehead. But uh, it's a good thing he was uh, further back, because if he would have been closer to me, he would have been hit with a whole lot of uh, shrapnel, and he probably wouldn't have made it. But uh, So when you, yeah. step, when you step on that, you said you, you hear a click. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you hear a click, is that, is that it, like... Because you have the pressure on it and it's waiting, as soon as you release the pressure, it's going to go off? Or how does that work? I believe so. Because all I can say, all I know is once I hear the click, the next thing I do, I'm on the ground. Mm. You know, I got it, it, it and my ears are ringing. I didn't, you know, I didn't know if I had lost consciousness or any of that. But uh, the nomadic uh, corpsman at the time crawled over to where I was at. The rest of the guys stayed back because they didn't know what else was in the uh, surrounding area, what kind of uh, other mines or whatever, and uh, patched me up, and they uh, 
they had to make a, a, a gurney for because it was September the 5th was the beginning of a, a typhoon. And so there wasn't, the helicopters weren't out there flying around. So they called for medevac, but they said, well, we can't get them. So you have to get them to a road. And they took, uh, we had ponchos, you know, for, 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 for inclement weather for when it rained. And they made, uh, uh, with a couple of rifles and the ponchos, they made a, 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 a girdie. And they carried me off to a road, and that's then they come got me with a uh, uh, like an ambulance. It took me to a field hospital, not a regular hospital, but a field hospital it was a tent. And I'm in the tent. Then there, uh, all the doctors are coming around, and, and uh, they're scrubbing me with with uh, uh, betadine, I guess it is, brown brown uh, brown stuff. All over me, my arms and my legs, and uh, next thing I know, I, I, I wake up again and I've had surgery. Then I'm in a Navy hospital in Da Nang at that point, and uh, just waiting to see what's, what what my next uh, uh, next scenario is going to be. So that was that. Mm. Um, you know, before that incident, um, had you been on out? Uh, on several patrols before that? Oh, yes. I was uh, I was in, uh, with the first Marines, 1-1, like I say, Bravo Company. And we were, when I got assigned with them, they were just outside of Quezon on Hill, I think it was 5-5. And from Hill 5-5, I was uh, 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 sent to replace some other Marines that were injured up, up, up on Hill 881. So I was up on Hill 81 uh, North, it's called. And uh, there it would be in a, uh, there would be patrols that went out, but most of the time we spent there just protecting the, the, the top of that hill, mountain, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I was there till uh, just after July 4th of 68. And they were, we were, leaving Hill 881. And the time we were cut off, so they couldn't get helicopters in, and then they finally did get in and get us out of there. In the meantime, we had ran out of food, we had ran out of water. And uh, the only good thing about that is the rats weren't around. Because when you were there, if you didn't, you would go down to sleep at nighttime because you had everybody slept different hours because you would be on watch. And you'd sleep and you'd feel these damn rats just run across your body because they would pick up cans of food, garbage, whatever was around. And that was another thing that I hated was uh, I became so damn uh, 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 fearful of rats because they would, like I say, run across you while you're sleeping. You'd wake up in a... In a in a cold sweat, just angry as hell. And then uh, we left there, and like I say, it took us to another hill where the other Marines were, Hill 861, I believe. And I was there. Well, the guy I was with, he got malaria, so he was. we were the same. We shared the same bunker. Uh, luckily, I didn't get it. And uh, he was medevaced out. And then... Uh, we spent some time there while they were retrieving some more Marines that had been uh, 
caught out, you know, been on a patrol and we're trapped outside the wire and we're all dead. And in Marine Corps, you don't leave, you don't leave your, your brothers behind. You just do whatever you have to do to get them back. So that's why we stayed there until we could retrieve their bodies. And then, uh, we left that hill and they took us to a, another place called a rock pile, which was, uh, just south of Quezon along the river there. And that was a nice place. <laughs> you had nice bunkers, had a chow hall. Because prior to that, everything I ate was uh, canned foods. You know, what what sea rations, it would call hay rations. So we would eat that. But at least at the other camp, we had a, a kitchen, you know, a tent. And they would give us uh, two meals a day there. They would fly some in with helicopters. And then uh, we'd eat. And every time we'd go to eat, the, the 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 enemy would be firing rockets at us. So once you'd wait for the you'd hear the rockets coming in, and they make that crackling sound, and then they hit, and then they they uh, you wait till there's no more sounds. And you get go up to the chow hall, but they knew every day what time we were going to eat, so they would bomb us like that with the rockets. That was at uh, the rock pile. That was kind of a neat place. Like I said, we had a river there to play in the water. And then from there, we went to get regrouped because our, 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 our unit had got down to where there was only 300, about 340 of us left. And so they were, we needed to be brought up to, up to, up to scale. So they sent us to Quang uh, Tree, Quang Tree Province. And uh, took away our rifles and ammunition, and we were there getting re, re uh, new clothing, showers. That's another thing. When when I first when we got there for the showers, they you give you the bucket, and then they give you a, a, a toilet brush. I went, what the hell is the toilet brush for? I thought that we we're going on a work detail. Well, the toilet brush was to scrub your your your, uh, your back. Because you were, we were all filthy from all the, all the, all the, all the dirt there in Vietnam, red dirt, red clay. That's another thing I forgot to say is, we didn't have bath, uh, we didn't have facilities for bathing, or showering, or, or uh, all we had was latrines for, uh, for, for the bathrooms. And a few places they would you would use cans and put water in them and, and, and kind of shower like that. But other than that, there was no other facilities. But the, at, at Quang Tree, they did. We, we got to take all the showers and issued us new clothing and uh, fed us really good, and then uh, reassigned us again. So I was, we were sent to a place called Contien. It was a, uh, 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 it was it was a, a round compound area, and it had. Uh, uh, Eight millimeter guns on it, like one five fives. One five fives is what they were, and uh, it was a mined area all the way around. You only had one road coming in, and then you had two gates that you went out for, to go on patrols. So we would do the uh, uh, the mornings. We'd do the mine sweeps so that the trucks could bring in supplies, and then. Uh, uh, you would go out on patrols and you'd go out the gates on the patrols. 
So that was another another fun thing. We were out one night on a on a company size uh, sweep, and uh, we got to where we were going. We hunkered down for the night, and when we got woke up the next morning, could hear the could hear Vietnamese talking, and so we realized that they were did the same thing. They had been out whatever at that night. I guess they had been out also, and they were camped out by where we were at. Once they heard us, because you could hear them because they were real loud. They're, they're uh, uh, boisterous kind of people. And so they started firing at us. We returned fire, and then uh, they took off. We went after them, never, uh, never made contact with them again. Except for that night, then we got hit with, uh, we were out and we were camped down again for the night and we got hit with artillery. And that was this, one of the scariest things I've ever experienced because there was no, you had nowhere to, nowhere to uh, get uh, away from the artillery because we were on the ground. We didn't have, you know, you, that's, you're out on a, on a, on a patrol at nighttime. You're not on, you're not out on patrol. You have forward observers that, go out there and they, they're watching for you in case they're coming up. And so you, we got hit with this artillery. You could hear it hit. And then you'd hear the whistling of the, of the, of the shrapnel, just whistling as it's going by you. And you're hoping the hell it isn't for you. You know, it's going to, going to hit you. Wow. And like I say, you're just, you're, you, you, you haven't dug holes because you're, you're, you're not going to be there for a long time. You're out on patrols. So anyway, that we survived through that. And the next day, uh, we went back to Contien and uh, was there again. And then we got reassigned again after a few, a few weeks and went down south, outside of Da Nang, south of Da Nang, which was, uh, was the last place I was before I got medevaced. But I didn't care for it down there because down there you would be around civilians, the, the, the civilian Vietnamese peoples. When we were up north, it was, uh, uh, only Marines and of course the Arbans and, 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 uh, army. So anyone that wasn't, uh, either in the army or the Marine Corps was, was, uh, or the Arbans was the enemy. So it was a lot easier to know who you were fighting against. But when you went down south, and you're around civilians, you don't, you can't just open up fire on them and shoot them, you know, like you could up north. Up north, you knew you were making, you know, making contact. So that was another strange experience in Vietnam was dealing with uh, civilians opposed to just being out there uh, fighting the enemy. So that was no fun. And I can see where a lot of people had issues with it because it's, 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 it's so difficult. You know, we're used to seeing just enemy and then all of a sudden now we're seeing, uh, the regular, uh, citizenry of, of Vietnam. But it, uh, like I said, I didn't have to deal with that long because I got the matter hacked out. But that was it. Then, like I say, I came back to the States and, uh, waited for my next assignment. My next assignment was being discharged. So I was discharged, and uh, that was the end of that, my, my tour in Vietnam. Wow. Uh, when you came back home, Richard, uh, did you come back, uh, uh, live with your parents, or where did you come back and live, you know, 
did you have family waiting for you back home? Yes, I was very fortunate my, that I came back home to Long Beach, and all my my family lived there, my friends. So I was I was staying with my parents at the time, and until uh, I got my own place, and then uh, every once you know I'd lose my place because I didn't have the money, or I'd lose my money, and uh, I'd end up at my parents. Then I'd be out again, back at my parents. And then I finally uh, met someone that uh, uh, I ended up getting married to. So we lived. I lived with my uh, wife at that point. And uh, we were together for like, oh, God, it'd be 10 years. Yeah, I think it was 10 years. Then she divorced me because of my issues. Uh, so it was my fault, not her fault. But... Uh, then after that, I was uh, uh, by myself again. Then I met another lady, and I got married again, and we were together till she passed. But in the meantime, I was, uh, like I say, uh, self-medicating with, with alcohol and drugs in a recreational type, not, uh, not nothing like that. But uh, just just doing my thing keeping a roof over my children's head and providing for them and and my other wife. And uh, everything was going good. And my wife passed away, and then, uh, uh, then it became another dark period because I was left alone again to my own. <clears throat> and so I've always been kind of a loner since, since I got back from Vietnam. I didn't have a whole lot of... Uh, when I went in, I had a lot of friends. And when I came out, I, I kind of didn't go back to those friendships for whatever, for what reason, I don't know. And a lot of the guys, that, a lot of my friends, they uh, they ended up serving also. And uh, a lot of them died also after they got back from, from, from Vietnam, either for drugs. Quite a few of them had drug, drug issues. And... Uh, that was that. We never, uh, we were always, you know, close in that respect because of what we what we had experienced. So I didn't really associate myself with other people that weren't in the same, that weren't Marines or weren't uh, uh, had an experience like Vietnam. Because you, you you feel like you got someone you can talk to. And uh, I would I would just talk with vets, and like I say, I went to the VA, the VA in Long Beach, and it was a great hospital. Back then, it was very very crowded with all the all the all the veterans because we still had World War One veterans, uh, uh, World War Two, Korea, and us Vietnam veterans. There was a few Spanish American War veterans there too that were. That were up way up in age, almost a hundred years old, and uh, you learned a lot in the VA from the other from the other vets because they had all been the same way. They had all seen the same type of, not the same type of warfare, but the they, the experience of war is the same, irrespective of whether it's in the European theater or the uh, South South uh, South Viet South Vietnam. Korea, they're all the same. You, you know, the blood and, and, the, and the guts and the, and the living and the dying. 
uh, no rhyme or reason who was going to die. It just it is what it is. But uh, you uh, you just coped with it all as best as you could. It now that's a lot better. Now that they, they there's more treatment for it. Uh, before the only treatment was they'd lock you up in a, in a ward and uh, medicate you with Thorazine. You can see them doing the Thorazine shuffle. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you know now at least now they're 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 a lot better at at, at uh, helping you with your uh, with your diagnosis and your issues. Mm. So it's it's getting better. It's it's it's. Uh, I'm so happy that I finally, after all the years of of just uh, holding it in, that I finally was able to express it. Uh, uh, to 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 a, to a someone that to someone else other than myself, mm. and it's been like I say I've been uh, been a good road now. It was a rocky road prior to that, but but now it's a good road. Um, does it feel better like talking about it, Richard? Like you, you know, you just mentioned it. It, it kind of maybe sounds like it helped you being able to talk to somebody else about it. Um, that help? Does that help you deal with it? Yes, it did. And, and, and but the only the only one of the worst things about this whole experience is a war <clears throat> is this last war we've had <clears throat> with with uh, Afghanistan <clears throat> and Iraq and the Middle East because when I was inducted in there you went off to tour you did your tour in Vietnam and you came back, you, 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 you wait for your discharge, and you were discharged. Uh, the only ones that ever went back to Vietnam were, were guys that extended to go back to Vietnam or were career uh, veterans. Because the career veterans, you're going to go where you're sent. So you would do more than one tour. But these gentlemen, the, the, these young men that were fighting in this last wars, the the... The desert wars had no chance. I mean, they would do their their time there, come home, wait, do something else, then be sent back. So every time you get sent back, <clears throat> that roulette wheel starts spinning again, and you're either going to get, like I say, you're going to go out, you're either going to you're either going to come back, all right, you're going to get wounded while you're out there, you're going to get. <clears throat> Killed while you're out there, or you're going to get captured when you're out there. So out of a hundred, the hundred percent, twenty-five percent is is all you got going for you is that to make it back all right. The other the other three things aren't so good. One being death, the other one being wounded, and the other one being captured. So I can see what if I'd have had to go through that experience, I don't know if I'd be alive right now. I'd have, I don't know what the hell I'd have done. Because you're just constantly being thrown back in there, back in there, back in there, back in there. Uh, so there's really no way to to heal, because you're you're starting to get better, and next thing you know, you're back off out there again. And so uh, my heart goes out to all of the all of the the veterans from this last last wars, if you will, because they just were just. Uh, Kept, 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 kept it sending them back, and if you keep going back, you know you only, you only, the luck runs out on you. The percentages, the percentages catch up with you. Like I say, 
You already only got 25% every time you go out on patrol of making it back without any issue. The other 75% is, is like I say, an injury, a wound, uh, uh, death, or being captured. So the odds are always against you. But you got to do your job, and so they do their job. And so we got to find some other way to to, to resolve all this and, and, and uh, come to a better understanding of of what, what's really, really, really needs to be done for our, for our veterans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Richard, that's, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly uh, why we got this project going on, because just exactly what you just said right now, uh, veterans being recycled back into combat over and over and over again. You know, I don't think, uh, you know, the general public doesn't realize that. They might think that maybe they went one time and you know what I mean? But like you just mentioned, like you just, I don't think I could have said it better. It's like a game of Russian roulette mm -hmm. with, with four of those four possible outcomes, uh, you know, specific outcomes. And uh, um, unfortunately, even the best outcome of you coming back alive um, still isn't a great outcome because then you get out and you're having to deal with everything that you saw and experienced, right? Yes. Yeah, you can never, uh, that never goes away. That stays in your brain forever. You just, because we're a recording machine and that's what happens. So those experiences that we experience are, are going to be with us for life. It's a matter of learning to cope and deal with those experiences as far as the, like the PTSD, because we all, everyone suffers from that in one form or another from all of our, just our experiences in life, whether it's combat related or uh, some other thing. Yeah, we're, uh, uh, we got a tough road there for the veterans. Hopefully it gets better for them all. That's what I hope for and pray for. What would you say, Richard, to a um, to a, um, maybe a young vet veteran who's you know uh, experienced combat in in these you know more recent wars in Afghanistan and Iraq that is maybe dealing with some of the issues uh, that you dealt with when you got back from Vietnam? The main thing I would instill them is is to to not feel alone. Not feel isolated. Don't isolate yourself. Uh, communicate uh, to the people that can help you, and uh, know that it's going to get better. It's always going to get better <clears throat> as long as you do the right steps and, and uh, keep yourself uh, uh, in contact with 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 the people that that are going to help you, and the fat whether it be family members or or physicians or clergymen, whomever is going to be able to understand and help you to cope with what you're going through because no one can go through it but yourself. And uh, But you do need to help along the way. If you think you can do it by yourself, uh, you're, kind of, you're, kind of give, you're kind of fooling yourself because we don't have that, that ability. We all need help. From the from the day you're conceived till the till the day you die, you're, we all need help, and so that <clears throat> to the veterans that are that are still suffering and will be suffering, don't be afraid to 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 speak out, and I mean I mean positively, not not negatively. Reach out and uh, get whatever assistance that you need to to help you cope with your life because it's changed because of your experience. You can't erase what's already in there. So 
just do the best you can and, and, and uh, keep yourself in the most positive attitude you can. Um, well, uh, you know, I really appreciate you being here and sitting down and telling your story, Richard. Like I said in the beginning, uh, veterans are going to be the backbone of this organization. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of courage to sit here and, um, you know, tell your story because, you know, a lot of us veterans, you know, you know, we're to ourselves. I mean, you said it earlier, you didn't really have many friends and the only people you got along with was really the people that experienced what you experienced. And I imagine it's because, uh, you know, trying to talk to someone else, they just can't get it. And it's not their fault. It's just, they don't, they haven't experienced it. So they just can't fathom, uh, having gone through something like that. And so, um, the last thing, you know, I'll ask is, uh, you know, how did it feel to sit down and tell your story today? It, it, it always feels good to, to speak with someone that knows what I've been going, what, what, what I've experienced, you know, what I'm going through. And, and, uh, because at least I, I know that it's not uh, uh, a cry for pity or anything else. It's just explaining how we all feel when we are in a situation of of, uh, of combat and, and serving our country. Uh, we all uh, uh, take that risk of uh, getting the short end of the stick, so to speak, and. Uh, our country is it's what it is because of veterans. Veterans have made what this country is all about. It's just, uh, and we will continue to do that because that's what we do as uh, American veterans, American citizens. We take care of our country and our people, our young and our old, and uh, <clears throat> we'll continue to do that. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thanks for being here, Richard. Um, you know, thank you for your service and uh, Semper Fi, brother. Hoorah, thank you, and Semper Files. Do or die. Do or die. <laughs> Push it to the limit, I can't go no more. Red light, no way I'm coming back home. Long dirt road all on my own. I'ma be the greatest, draw my name in the stone. Draw my name in the stone. Yeah, I'm coming back.